turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. But can I just tell you, it's worth the work. The good news of Jesus, his power over death and his victory over sin, that was not just to give you a get out of hell free card. That was so that you could enjoy victory in every area of your life. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we're beginning a series of messages that I'm calling Love Stories. Love Stories. Do you have a love story? Several years ago, Taylor Swift had the chart-bursting song, Love Story. And it was her retelling of that classic Shakespearean tale of Romeo and Juliet. Maybe you know some of the words. I'm not going to sing them, but here they are. Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. I'll be waiting. All there's left to do is run. You'll be the prince and I'll be the princess. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. Romeo, save me. They're trying to tell me how to feel. This love is difficult, but it's real. Don't be afraid. We'll make it out of this mess. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. That's somehow, sometimes how we feel, right? In the middle of our love stories and you have some of those, and some of those have great and happy endings, and, and some of those have kind of difficult moments that you're still living through. The Bible's full of love stories, and it actually has a lot of tragic ones, like that tragic tale of Romeo and Juliet, and they're usually tra- tragic, like in our life, because our human sinfulness gets in the middle of the relationship, and we have a desperate need for divine intervention. And so I want to take some time and just introduce you to some of those uh, from Scripture. Today we're going to start with the first love story, Adam and Eve. But before we get to that, I I need to give you a disclaimer and then make a couple of statements. So first, a disclaimer. Anytime I stand and, and talk about relationships, it's important that you understand that I'm called to be a preacher of the gospel and, and, and to be a person who proclaims the good news of Christ through his word, but but I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so there's no place that comes through more more clearly than in my relationships and, and no relationship where that comes more clearly than in my marriage relationship. Praise the Lord, in July, Kimberly and I will celebrate 29 years of marriage. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I, th- I know you thought I was just 29 years old, but um, man, as we think about that, we realize we're trophies of God's grace. 
And were it not for God's grace and, and us continuing to learn and grow and, and submitting to his will, not just for our lives, but for our marriage and for our family, man, we would be a mess because that's who we are in our natural self. And, and so I, I want you to understand that. Secondly, I recognize that, that there are some people because of what has happened in relationships past or where you are in a relationship present, that when you enter into a series of teaching messages like this, man, it can feel hurtful. And, and I would just say it, that's not the intent. The, the intent is to open God's word and, and for that to be a help and an encouragement in your life. Sometimes when we are walking through things because of the Holy Spirit of God, we, we feel conviction in our life. And, and that is a recognition that things aren't right and we want to make them right. Sometimes when we hear God's word, we feel comfort, right? That's why the old preacher used to pray before he preached, God, when I proclaim your word, would you uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable? I mean, there are different things that we need, but I, I would just challenge you, don't let the pain that you've walked through or are walking through cause you to miss hearing the active and living word of God in the moment. One final thing. This time in God's Word has something for everyone. We, we would not do it if it did not. So if you're like you know, some of my children and, and you're not yet married, whatever your age, I, I promise there are things for you. I, I so wish I would have heard today's message at a younger age before I was married. And, and I, I wish I would have already shared some of these things with, with some of my children. But for those of you that are married... Uh, you know, there's help for you. Like we say in our individual Christian faith, we're under construction, right? If that's true as individuals, it's got to be true in our marriage. So we can still grow regardless of where you are in that marital process. I remember the first time I taught a marriage series in this church. And uh, it got back to me because it always gets back to me. Uh, someone in one of our uh, older classes was really negative about me preaching a series on marriage, and, and they made it clear that they weren't coming. They didn't need to hear that. And I just thought, man, how short-sighted, because even, even if you've got it together, which usually the evidence for everybody else around us to see is that we don't have it together. But even if you've got it together, there are children and their grandchildren coming along behind you that could, could use the tools and the equipment that we gain from a time like this in God's Word. So uh, I encourage you um, not only to tune in, but, but I encourage you to keep showing up and, and maybe think about who in your little corner of the world could be encouraged from God's word. Because I don't have all the answers, but I do know where to find them. And that's in the word of God. And that's where we're going to look today in Genesis chapter one. And we're talking about how to have a match made in heaven. I mean, isn't that what we want? If you're not married, you want that match that God designed for you. If you are married, you want your marriage to look like what God wants it to be. And sometimes we can learn from children. So there was some surveys. Maybe you can relate. Children were asked, how do you decide who to marry? And Alan, who was 10, said, you got to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. Well, don't know about that. But Kristen, age 10, said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before. And you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> well... 
that's kind of how we feel sometimes, maybe, isn't it? Well, so what is the right age to get married? Camille, 10 years old, says 23 is the best age because you've known the person forever by then. Or Freddie, who's six, very wise for his age, says no age is good to get married at. You got to be a fool to get married. <laughs> Derek is eight years old. He was asked the question, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Here's what he said. You might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> That's true. Or uh, <laughs> Lori, she's eight too. She was asked, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? And she said, both of them don't want any more kids. <laughs> what do most people do on a date? Now, this can be dangerous. But Lynette, who's eight, and, and she's a treasure here. She says, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> Martin's 10 years old. He says, on the first date, they just tell each other lies. And that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. <laughs> what would you do on a first date that was turning sour? Now, this is important. You might want to take notes on this. Craig was nine years old. He said, I'd run home and play dead. And the next day, I'd call all the newspaper and make sure they wrote about me in the dead columns. <laughs> is it better to be single or married? Well, Anita said, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up behind them. <laughs> well, how would you make a marriage work? Ricky's 10 years old. He said, tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 26. Now, remember what's happened. The creator of all that is created all that is, right? That's what we believe. We're people of the book. So God, our creator, created the heavens and the earth, created the fowl, the beast, the fish. And then he recognizes something's missing. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And here we see on the first page of the Bible, the introduction to the triune God. We serve a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it, we're told that God is making us in their image after their likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 2, we have the more detailed version of that same creation account. Look in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So, the Lord God 
caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And then if we can go back to chapter 1 to see how God summarizes all that he's done. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning and then the sixth day. Here's what I want you to understand. Our God, the creator, the one who made you, God can take things that are not good and make them very good when we choose to live his way. And and some of you, when you look at this part of your life, the relational part of your life, it is not good. And I may not know that, or the people around you may not know that, but you know that it's not good. It's not maybe according to the things you know that he's set forth, or or maybe it's just not fulfilling, or or maybe you're in a marriage relationship, and it's been a long time, but you've you've become content with being discontent, and it's not good. And and I want to tell you, you don't have to stay that way, because our God specializes in taking that which is not good and making it very good. When we choose to live his way. So that's how we want to pray, right? That in these moments together, God would give us the courage to live his way. Wherever we are. Whatever our circumstance. For his glory. Let's pray. So Father, that's our desire. Have your way in us. In these moments so that you might have your way through us. In the moments and the hours and the days to come. We want you to give us what we don't have. And we want to learn what we don't know. And we want to be made more into your image. So we recognize that's going to take 
your protection, even in this time that our ears and our eyes and our heart and our mind might be receptive and not distracted. So may that be so in the mighty name of Jesus. God, I pray for that person that deeply desires to be married, to have a partner. I I pray that you would impart wisdom into their life today that whether it is years that it is applied or whether it is days, Lord, that you would encourage them in that journey. And Lord, for those that are married and, and they may have children or grandchildren coming along behind them, may these moments be used to, to help encourage us in our marriages to better reflect who you are and what you desire. But ultimately, God, as we will see, we have no hope of sinful people of, of relating for a lifetime without the power of the gospel. So, Lord, help us to see the need for the good news in our marriage. And, Lord, for that person that is hearing these words and does not yet have a relationship with you, may you save them today for your glory. Change someone for eternity because we've been with you. So, Lord, it's important today. I I, I need the words I say, and even my thoughts to be pleasing to you, my strength, my redeemer, because we want the theme of this time together to be redemption. And we thank you for this. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So how do you get there? How do you have that match made in heaven? On the first pages of Genesis, we find, I think, four words that guide our marriage mentality. I want to give you those four words and then talk about them. Identity, authority, compatibility, and intentionality. Identity, authority, compatibility, and intentionality. Look at that first word, identity. Do you know your identity? Do you understand really who you are? Or is your identity, maybe is it tied up in that title before your name, Mr. or Mrs.? Or is your identity tied up in that title that comes behind your name, Esquire or Plumber or Teacher or whatever that may be? Is your identity tied up in your bank account? (laughs) Many of us are thinking, I sure hope not. Your identity defined by what you drive or what you live in? You you see, spending a lot of my life around people like us, what I've recognized is we get into a lot of problems because we're putting our identity in something in a place it has no, no place being. And so on the first pages of the Bible, we're told how to find our identity. Our identity is in God. Look at verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make man how? In our image, after our likeness. You were created in the image of God. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the economic status, the nationality. None of that matters. You were created in the image of God. We call that the Imago Dei. The stamp of God is on your life. 
And that's what gives you your identity. If you've come to that place where you began a relationship with Jesus, you're a follower of Christ, then we could even say you're not only created in the image of God, you were recreated in the image of Jesus. So your identity is in Christ. And so think about that. Uh, We say that this passage tells us that God is a triune God. In the image of God, you were created in a triune way. Think about it. You were created with a body. You were created with a spirit. And you are a soul. Your body is your physical self. Your spirit is everything else about you. Your interest, your mind, what you like, what you look to. And then your soul. Oh, you are a soul. Your soul lasts forever. And so everything about your identity is impacted by this triune creation that God made of you. And that completes you. And it's very important before we talk about relationships with someone else that you understand this principle. You are complete in God. And if you are a Christ follower, you are now complete in Christ. Now that's significant because sometimes you will hear someone say, oh, she completes me. Or he completes me. And when you do that, you've missed out on this idea of identity because the reality is God created you in such a way that you may need someone else to compliment you, to come along beside you, but you don't need another person to complete you. And and most of the challenges that come in life come because we're trying to find someone or something to complete us. And we try to meet legitimate needs and, and feelings in illegitimate ways. And we all come, always come out empty. God doesn't want you to find your identity in another person. He wants you to find your identity in Him. And this is vitally important. Because you're not fully prepared for a relationship with another person until you understand your identity as an individual created in the image of God. So I ask again, do you know who you are? Identity. The second word is authority. The first people created were created under authority. And we see that even when it's just Adam. Adam is told of his authority. Look at verse 16. That's why I included these verses. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Whether we like it or not, we're born under authority. When you're born, you're first born under the authority of your parents. Now, let's clearly acknowledge way too many parents abdicate that authority. Either in a literal sense, they walk away, or in a practical sense. They don't exercise that authority to lead and guide and bring up their children. But beyond the parent, you're born as a citizen, right? So you were born under the authority of a particular government. You don't have to like it. You may not have asked for it. That's where you were born. You were put under that authority. I'll go a step further, and I believe that God is the creator of all that is. And all of us, just like Adam, are up under his authority. 
And so you, you may not acknowledge him, but your existence is up under the authority of God. Now, I'm a follower of Christ, and because of that, I've looked at God's word. The Bible is authoritative. And, and so you know, that means I live up under the authority of Scripture. Now, this is important because if you don't understand this, when you go about your relationships, you'll do what? What feels good. What you want in the moment. Because you're not acknowledging the authority. And so let's, let's illustrate that in a couple of ways. You've got to decide, are you going to come up under the biblical authority? Because biblical authority says marriage has some standards. It's, it's not whether it's politically correct or not. It's just what has always been the case throughout Scripture. So marriage is a relationship between one man and one woman. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.